Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Today we'd like to give a very special welcome to every person to the Community Adventist Fellowship. We want to spend our, send our greetings to our dear friends across North America, up into Canada, across the United States, down through the Caribbean and other places. We want to thank you for standing with us in the preaching of the everlasting gospel, particularly in the lands of Russia and Ukraine. We want to say thank you so much for being our special partners. When you're in Southern California, I want to give you a big invitation. Great invitation to join us Saturday mornings at uh, the Community Adventist Fellowship at 10.45 a.m. at 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale. Let me say it again. It's 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale. And we start with good music and worship and then the preaching of the word at 10.45 a.m. I want you to notice what the program is about today that's written on this rather colorful card so it would get your attention, though I think today the topic will get your attention even if it were written on a black card. Notice it says for today, the Christian, the welfare state, the work ethic, socialism, deadbeat dads, illegitimacy and dependency, big government, big taxes and the rebirth of the American dream. There is no question that the United States of America is not facing a crisis down the road but is in the midst of the greatest crisis that she's possibly ever had. America was raised up, I believe, in the providence of God to provide freedom for those fleeing the wrath of religious persecution in the old world. I do not believe that the United States of America is like any other nation in the world. I believe that this nation was born in the providence and the plan of God. Can the Americans here say amen to that? This is an Australian speaking. Can the Americans say amen to this? Mm -hmm. This nation was settled originally by God-fearing, Bible-reading, law-abiding believers. Do you believe that? What's happened to America. This place was originally settled by God-fearing, Bible-reading, law-abiding believers. They believe certain great principles. I'm going to speak on those principles today, but let me give you a summary. Number one, they believed in the sovereignty of Almighty God. They believed that the Creator has endowed us with certain, they said, unalienable rights that the government does not give us freedom to worship. America does not give us freedom to worship. God gives us freedom to worship. But America was quite unique in saying we recognize it right. Early Americans believed in the gift of freedom. 
Every true American believes in the gift of freedom, the freedom to be what he desires to be under God, freedom to worship or not to worship, to think, to preach, to argue, and to discuss. This is what an American is. He believes in freedom. And early Americans, like all true Americans today, believe in individual responsibility. We believe that because we are created by God, that God has given to us the gift of individual responsibility. I want to read you a statement from the Speaker of the House, uh, Newt Gingrich, in his book, To Renew America. And I'm going to turn to page 38 and 39 and read you a statement. Precisely because our rights are endowed by our Creator, the individual burden of responsibility borne by each citizen is greater than that in any other country. Thank you, Stephen. That is why our newfound sense of entitlement and victimization is exactly wrong and so corrosive to the American spirit. In America, the fact that God, not the state, has empowered us puts an enormous burden on our shoulders. Our rights are pale shadows of our responsibilities. When the founding fathers pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, they meant it literally. The consequence of defeat would be an ignoble hanging by the British. I put the last bit in. Compare that level of personal commitment and self-assumed responsibility with the self-pity of the whiners we so often hear today. One of the most important concepts of the countercultural left is the idea of an all-powerful society. In their view, society is always responsible for everything. If people murder and rape, it isn't their fault. It's the fault of society. If teenage girls become pregnant almost as soon as they reach puberty, it isn't their own or their boyfriend's or their parents' fault. It's the fault of society. If children don't learn and schools can't teach, it isn't some identifiable flaw in our educational system. It's just the fault of society. The classic American is an independent, self-reliant, hard-working, honest person of no great wealth or social status who nevertheless has good sense, great courage, and a fierce love of country. And that is why I think to be an American is a very admirable thing. These great principles, belief in God, belief in his sovereignty, belief in freedom, and belief in individual responsibility made this nation the greatest nation in the history of the world. I believe this. This nation became, under God, the greatest nation in the history of the world. But listen, these great truths are being cast aside by millions as liberal politicians and liberal preachers work tirelessly in the name of charity to destroy the sound, uh, the, to destroy the sacred foundation of America. It is happening today, and you only need to look around and see the result. What is the result of this subtle but sinister warfare that is carried out in the name of charity? Let me tell you, a flood of crime such as America has never seen. And I'm going to tell you today, what well, you haven't seen anything yet, it's going to get much worse. A flood of crime. I am amused when people 
come to me after I have, well, after I once announced I was going to take people through the Middle East, and uh, there was a little flare-up in the Middle East. Every American on the tour group cancelled. They said it's dangerous. That is a joke. You have a hundred times more chance of being killed here in America than you have in the Middle East, even during a war. We have a flood of crime such as history has not seen. And tied in with this, we have a growing multitude of broken, hopeless, poverty-stricken men, women, boys, and girls who flood our cities. And I want to tell you something. I do not have soft words today to those who will not go by the word of God. I'm here to tell you today, not just my convictions, but what the Bible teaches. And I want to say to every American listening on television, every Canadian listening on television, every member of my church, the hour is late for America. If there is not a mighty reformation and a complete revival in America, this nation is doomed to destruction the same as the ancient Roman Empire. I know this makes some Americans incensed. They say, our nation cannot be destroyed. Don't fool yourself. Have you ever heard of Rome? Ever heard of the British Empire? Every nation that has gone the path that we are going has destroyed itself. America is going to hell unless she changes and gets back to the foundations of her original faith. There is a solution. If we are prepared to lay aside prejudice, racism, and the cunningly contrived lies of those who have spurned the great truths of Holy Scripture. Otherwise, I tell you, my American friends, we are facing national and personal disaster on a magnitude that you cannot comprehend at present. Now, before we go any further today, I want to make an appeal to every person today to be honest and open and courageous and to be first and foremost a true Christian and a true believer. Please take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 to 14 and this is going to be encouragement for you. Deuteronomy 28 and verses 1 and onwards. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trowel will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They'll come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you an oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land and seasons, and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. 
Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Listen. Do these promises still apply today? Now come on. But these promises were given to Israel. But as I have proved in these meetings from Sabbath to Sabbath, all of the promises of God that were given to literal Israel are now fulfilled to spiritual Israel. I'm a child of God. I'm a part of the house of Israel. Uh, Sister Helen, stand up, please. Sister Helen is an African-American. I'm an Anglo-Saxon from Australia. We belong to the house of Israel. Because we're children of God. You hear this? Thank you, Helen. All the promises of God that were given to Israel are fulfilled in a spiritual sense now to the house of Israel. This is not my idea. This is the teaching of the Bible. This is the teaching of the Holy Word of God. Stephen, just hold that, please. Let me talk now about some of the major problems that we face as individuals, and then let me, by the grace of God, give you some of God's solutions. Helen, who stood up just a moment ago, had a house broken into uh, just a few days ago. Helen is not too concerned about it because we know it happens all the time. Uh, we've had our house broken into. There's hardly anybody you can talk to whose life today in America is not being touched by crime. It touches almost everyone. Some very fine folks have come to our church, the Matheson family. They have a wonderful health store in Burbank. She went out to get in the parking lot some time ago. She was confronted by a young male, put a gun up to her mouth, said, give me the money. People hardly talk about it anymore. Crime is reaching everywhere. How bad is crime in the United States of America? Let me read you some of these statistics. They are chilling statistics. Just listen. This is quoted um, from Princeton University professor John DeLulio. The average state inmate admits to committing more than a dozen crimes in the year before entering prison. Hear this? The average state inmate admits to committing more than a dozen crimes in the year before entering prison. And that's the good news. The truth is, crime in America is going to get worse. Up to a third of those convicted of murder across this country were on parole, probation, or some other form of release at the time they took another person's life. Crime in general is getting more violent. Over the past three decades, how many years? What time period? Last three decades. What has happened in the last three decades? I'm going to tell you. We brought it upon ourselves. In the last three decades, your chance of becoming a crime victim increased to 80%. But your chance of becoming a victim of violent crime increased 460%. The crime problem is bad enough, but demographic evidence indicates it's going to get much worse. Now, I'm going to read you some stuff. This, this, this stuff is dreadful, but I'm going to read it to you. Then I'm going to tell you the main reasons for it. Violent crime has increased steadily over the past seven years. Well over 100,000 murders have been committed since the start of 1990. 
How many? 100,000. You know how many murders probably in the Middle East during that time? A few dozen. People say, scared to go to the Middle East. Well over 100,000 murders have been committed since the start of 1990. From 1985 through 93, while the murder rate by adults 25 and over dropped about 20%, so murder is down by adults. It increased by 65% among 18 to 24 year olds and sought a terrifying 165% among 14 to 17 year olds. If you get murdered, you know who's going to do it most likely? A kid. The current trend in birth rates makes us certain that a new violent crime wave is just around the corner. Today there are 7.5 million males aged 14 through 17. By the year 2000, we'll have an additional 500,000. Thus, in a few years, we can expect at least 30,000 more murderers, rapists, robbers, and muggers on the streets than we have today. Within a very short time, we're going to have another 30 criminals out to murder you on the streets. And they say this terrible trend started back in the 1960s. You know what happened back in the 1960s? Well, I'm going to tell you in a moment, and some of you won't like to hear it, but you and I need to have the courage to tell the truth. Not long ago, I asked this professor from, uh, what, where, where's he from? From Princeton. Not long ago, I asked a group of long and uh, lifetime prisoners what was triggering the explosion of violence among these new young criminals. I didn't hear the conventional explanations such as poverty or joblessness. One of the biggest lies that is being taught in this com uh, country by liberal ministers and liberal politicians is that poverty causes crime. That's a lie. Crime causes poverty. I was brought up in a poor home. I came from a, a, as poor a home as you can imagine. When I went to school, I didn't have any shoes. My parents came up through the Depression. I came through poverty. But my parents and my peers never got into crime because we were taught right is right and wrong is wrong. Don't give me this nonsense about poverty causing crime. Instead, these hardened men cited the absence of people, family, adults, teachers, preachers, coaches who would care enough about young males to discipline them. In the vacuum, drug dealers and gangster rappers serve as drug models. Don't walk out of here and say it's because people don't have enough money that they become criminals. That is not so. A person can be poor and honorable. Don't put down poor people. Where do we stand with the rest of the world? Now, David, if you can, get a camera up here close. Crime and punishment over here on the left. This black line that goes up. It starts in 1980. This is taken out of time, February 7, 1994, and it's got worse. Starting in 1980, this black line over here is the number of inmates in state and federal prisons. Uh, it's gone up 180%. Who leads the world? I heard a man say recently that since Russia is gone, we are now number one. We are now number one in the world, he said very proudly. It is true, we are number one. Number one in crime, number one in drugs. Number one in abortions, number one in murders. Number one 
is the United States of America, followed by South Africa, which is getting much worse, followed by Venezuela, then Canada, China, Australia, Denmark, Albania, Ireland, Japan, and India. Uh, for instance, America has, for every 100,000 people, 445 in prison. Australia has 79, and India, which is not a Christian country, has 34. I'm going to ask you folks a question. Some of you may know the answer. What is the greatest scourge in America? What is the greatest curse upon this fair country? The greatest scourge. I'm going to tell it to you, and it's going to shock you. I never knew this until a relatively short time ago. The greatest scourge and the greatest curse in the United States of America. Thank you, Stephen. Would you like to know what it is? It's illegitimacy. It's fathers who have kids and don't take care of them. It deadbeat dads. Colin Powell said, and I appreciate that man. Colin Powell said, what America needs is a sense of shame. Most of us have got no shame at all. And I'm talking about you. But guys who go and get a teenage girl, a child pregnant, and they boast about making a hit. Aren't they big men? They know how to have sex. They must be proud of themselves. The biggest problem in America is illegitimacy. Now, what I'm going to say now, I don't like saying it to you, but I'm going to tell it to you. I can understand the anguish in the hearts today of black leaders in this country. I'm talking about Christian black leaders. Men who've got the courage to stand up for what they, they believe in and who are not afraid of being called nasty names. One major ethnic group 30 years ago, had an illegitimacy rate of 25%. Now across the nation, the illegitimacy rate of that group is 66.6%. Now in the inner cities, the illegitimacy rate among that great group is approaching 100%. It is between 80% and 100%. Children are raised without fathers. You want to know when it started? It started in the 1960s with the birth of the Great Society, which was another name for the Great Socialism Experiment. Today, the children of that generation, listen to me, one-third of those young people are incarcerated or on probation. One-third of that racial group are in prison or on probation. And that's not to say about the others who ought to be. But a whole generation is being lost because people haven't taken responsibility. Here is a girl, she's just reached childbearing age, 12 or 13, she gets pregnant. 
and she gets pregnant again and again and again and again and the man who gets her pregnant goes off and laughs about it because he made a hit. He is a despicable wretch. He ought to be ashamed of himself. You know what's helped it? The federal government. By giving welfare to subsidize illegitimacy. So if a girl gets pregnant, the government gives her money. She gets pregnant, gives her more money. And she continues to be subsidized by the government. And this is what is happening. We are ra raising a group of people who do not know what it is to have a home. Did I give you some statements there? Please, let me just read you some of those. Hold those, Stephen, for me. This one is called The 50% Catastrophe. This is an editorial out of USA News and World Report, October 2, 1995. The 50% Catastrophe by David uh, Gergen, editor-at-large. Today, calamitously, the early home years are bad and have been getting worse for huge numbers of kids. One-third are now born illegitimate. Right across America, one-third on an average are illegitimate. Some groups are a lot worse than others. Sen Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, the first to sound alarms on family disintegration offers the single scariest prediction about our future. Now this, if this doesn't scare you and knock you back on your heels and make you want to do something that is right and take responsibility, I say, I'm sorry for you. Early in the next century, unless we change, one out of every two American children will be born out of wedlock. Illegitimacy, illegitimacy rates have already soared past the 50% mark in seven of our 20 largest cities, Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, Memphis, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Washington. Combined with children of divorce, we now see an army of historic proportions growing up with single parents. Compared with adolescents and two-parent households, they are twice as likely to drop out of high school and twice as likely to have a child before the age of 20. About half of them live in poverty, and startling numbers grow up amid violence, drugs, and sexual abuse. In short, we are living with social dynamite, and the burning fuse is illegitimacy. Now, let me say something about single families. If we have single families in this church, we want to say to you today, by the grace of God, we're going to stand with you. We support you, and we applaud you, and we honor you that you are trying, by the grace of God, to do what is right. And that's the responsibility of the church. It's the responsibility of a Christian. It's the responsibility of a neighbor. I want to read you now about the coming white ghetto. Listen to this. Newsweek, May 30, 1994. Nearly 30 years ago, Daniel Patrick Moynihan warned of the horrific social consequences of the skyrocketing 
out of wedlock birth rate among blacks. The rate then was about one in four. That's rough today in the inner cities, it's 80 to 100%, and nationwide it is 66.6%. But back there, in the 1960s, it was 25%. That rate then was about one in four. That's roughly where whites are today, up from 11% in 1980. And now social scientists are making equally dire forecasts about the coming white underclass. You've got to be blind if you don't recognize the trend that when people are in a situation where the home is destroyed, you need to do more than pray for the kids. We are facing today in the United States of America the greatest attack upon Americanism that this nation has ever seen. When I came to America, I was amazed at the poverty I saw. I'd never seen anything like it. I was amazed when I went to 3ABN, went to St. Louis, and then to get to 3ABN, I had to drive through East St. Louis. I said to myself, I've never seen anything like this in Russia, never seen anything quite like this in Africa. I saw there what had been palatial homes and trees growing up through them. I saw the streets filled with broken down, burned out cars. I saw men and women lounging in the streets. I was told the police here have got two or three cars, but they can't afford to have telephones in their cars. If a policeman needs to make a call, he's got to duck to another area, go to another area, use a payphone. This is America. You want to know why? It is because of the collapse of the home. Is there an answer to the scourge of illegitimacy? People say to me, how confident are you that things are going to turn around? I'm confident it can turn around for individuals. I'm confident it can turn around for you. I'm not a prophet. I wouldn't like to predict what's going to happen to America. But I do know that the Bible says a time of trouble is going to come such as never was since there was a nation. It is because we have rejected God. This is the reason. Is there an answer to the scourge of illegitimacy? I will tell you what it is. It's not more money. Would you like to know how much your federal government... Bob, give me more. Would you like to know how much your federal government has put into welfare since the 1960s? Would you like to know? Five trillion dollars. That is five thousand billion dollars. That means they could have given a billion people, four times the population of America, five thousand dollars each. Would you like to know if it's worked? It's been the greatest failure in the history of America. What must we do? We must return to God, the Bible, the home, and the Sabbath. When you read the book of Genesis, you read there of a man and a woman keeping the Holy Sabbath. That is why I am so much opposed to this iniquitous idea of man with man or woman with woman. The Bible says Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. 
God made the home unit. But the liberal politicians and the preachers have said, the problem is we don't have enough money. It's a lie. America is doomed to perish if the home is destroyed. One of the main destroyers of the home is the filthy industry of the Hollywood television people. Absolutely. They have polluted our nation. They're under the curse of God. Tough talk on entertainment. I support what Mr. Dole said about it. In one scene of Oliver Stone's film, Natural Born Killers, the hero drowns his girlfriend's father in a fish tank and kills her mother by tying her down on the bed, pouring gasoline on her and burning her alive. Meanwhile, a raucous, laugh-filled soundtrack tells the audience to regard this slaughter as the funniest thing in all the world. A lot of the remarks about Bob Dole's remarks on Hollywood has focused on whether he has gained political advantage for them. And I think there is no question that he has. Not so much because he has positioned himself better with the cultural right, but because as Americans across the political spectrum realize he is right, just as President Clinton was right a few years ago when he uh, castigated rap singer, sister, soldier, for saying that blacks had killed one another long enough, it was time for them to start killing whites. When you glamorize murder as natural-born killers does, or glorify violence against women, as does two live crew, when lyrics are anti-Semitic, as public enemies are, or advocate hatred of gays and immigrants, as those of Guns and Roses do, it is not just conservatives know, who know that something has gone wrong, any thinking liberal does too. Time Warner CEO Gerald Levin, whose company produced natural-born killers, and has put out much of the most offensive music, says that rappers like Ice-T are misunderstood. When Ice-T chants, die, 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 pig, die, he is not really advocating cop killing, but trying to put us in touch with the anguished mind of someone who feels this way. What a lot of garbage. And so we have the rappers, we have the porno kings, and we have the people who are just putting out violent movies. All of this is destroying the home. The Bible says, Sister Helen, that the Elijah message in the last days will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Do you want to know if there's an answer to this? It is not in political action. It is in praying to God. It is preaching the word of God. That's what we need. That's why this church has a television program. That's why we nag you to sit down the front and help us in the program. Because we have a mission. We're not here to play church. We're here to preach the word of God. And what the young people, the black young people and the white young people and the Hispanic young people and the tens of thousands in gangs need in this city is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Let me say a few words about poverty. I can sympathize with a poor man because I was brought up in poverty. I probably know more about poverty than any person here. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. But I want to quote to you from Newt Gingrich again. I quote to him because his words here express my belief. Consider the facts, he says. You may say, well, I don't like Newt Gingrich. Well, I don't care whether you like him or not. Just listen to the truth, would you? And don't turn off from the truth because somebody has twisted you to think that this is some other reason. 
Listen to this. He says in his book, To Renew America, Consider the Facts. That's hard for some people to do. One person said, Don't confuse me with the facts because my mind is made up. Consider the facts. Welfare spending is now costing $305 billion a year. Since 1965, we have spent $5 trillion on welfare, more than the cost of winning World War II. And have we won the war here? No, we've made it worse. Yet despite this massive effort, conditions in most poor communities have grown measurably worse. Since 1970, the number of children living in poverty has increased 40%. $5 trillion down into the cities, and it's got worse. Since 1965, the juvenile arrest rate for violent crime has tripled. Since 1960, the number of unmarried pregnant teenage girls has nearly doubled, and teen suicide has more than tripled. There's your great society. As welfare spending increased since 1960, it has exactly paralleled the rise in births outside of marriage. On a graph, the two lines move together like a pair of railroad tracks. The more we spend to alleviate poverty, the more we assure that the next generation will almost certainly grow up in poverty. Clearly something is profoundly wrong. We owe it to all young Americans in every neighborhood to save them from a system that is depriving them of their God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, back in 1960, Lyndon Baines Johnson and some other good men in the name of charity said, we are going to abolish poverty and we're going to have the most wonderful society in all the world. They called it the Great Society. If they had been more factual, they would have called it the Great Socialism. Because America went down the road of socialism. I am opposed to socialism because it is simply another name for communism. And that is why the liberals have tried to get God out of everything that's American. I'm an authority. I think in socialism, I've seen it. I wish I could take every liberal who believes in the welfare state and take them to Russia. See the poverty. Take them to Ukraine where a person gets 50 bucks a month. Where people have got no initiative. One American who believes in the work ethic is worth at least 10 of those people to do a job. Maybe worth 20 of them. Because they don't know how to work. They've got no initiative. Because socialism makes slaves of good people. It takes from them their independence and robs them of self-reliance and initiative. It has failed. Why was the Million Man March? A lot of good people recognize you may not like what some of the speakers said. Some of the things that were said I found nauseous. Some of the things I found to be good. But those people got together because they are admitting that the great social revolution that started 30 years ago is a fizzer. And most people in that hundred, that million man march are worse off now than they were. Except some of their leaders who live in palatial homes. 
But there's more illegitimacy, and poor people are poorer. Why are we not honest and say it has failed? Why do not the liberal politicians and preachers say, we have failed? You know what they say? Give us more money. We've had five trillion, give us ten trillion. And if five trillion didn't do it, then see what ten trillion will do. Should we help the poor? Absolutely. Has this system helped the poor? No. It has made slaves of decent people. We should help those who cannot help themselves, particularly when disaster strikes. If a girl gets pregnant, the family ought to be there and put their arms around her and love her, not send her off to get an abortion. We should help those who need help. It was never God's plan that the state should be a welfare society. It was God's plan that people help their neighbors. If you want to be a good neighbor, go and help somebody in need. The person who lives next door to you, go and help him. If there's a young person in a gang and he doesn't have a father figure, you be a father figure to him. Let me read this statement on welfare gone haywire. Some of these things are incredible. The old devil doesn't like you to hear these things. And uh, Beverly told me to tone it down, so I took her advice and left out all the strong material. This one is called Welfare. This is a condensed from the Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore Sun by John B. O'Donnell and Jim Hayner. Every month, Rosie Watson goes to the Lake Providence post office and picks up nine federal welfare checks totaling 3800 $93, tax-free income that adds up to 46716 a year, tax-free. Why work? What am I doing all this for? Just take down the details of this post office, will you? Few working families in this bleak, impoverished Mississippi River backwater earn more, except that Rosie, 44, doesn't earn it. She gets $343.50 a month from the government in a disability payment in disability payments because she is found by a social security law judge to be too stressed out to work. Her common law husband, L.C. Lyons, or Lyons, 56, gets the same amount for obesity. He weighed 386 pounds when he qualified for payments. Watson has seven children, ages 13 to 22. All of them have lagged behind in school and at various times scored poorly on psychological tests. Under the government rules, this translated into a failure to demonstrate age-appropriate behavior and qualified them to get $458 each. Welfare payments such as these are so widespread in Lake Providence and other communities around the nation that they are popularly known as crazy checks. Now, I'm going to look you in the eye. and You say to me, Pastor, you're not compassionate. I want to look you in the eye and say that people who have devised and perpetuated that system are slave makers. You talk about compassion, here you've got a family with no initiative. It describes them, you go to their home, it's filthy. The TV, got a big TV though, blaring all the time. They've got a, some radios that can pick up the police so they can tell if the police are coming or not. On about 50,000 a year, 
They're strong, they're healthy, but they say, we're not going to work, we don't need to, because the government takes care of us. The government, through liberal politicians and preachers, has destroyed Rosie and her family. Don't talk to me about compassion. Compassion is when you care enough for people to tell them the truth. Compassion is when you care enough for people to look them in the eye and say, you can be what you want to be with God's help. Stand tall. Be brave. And be shamed of sin. I got a bit of a shock. A few months ago, Beverly and I went to Santa Barbara. Walked down the main street of Santa Barbara. Confronted going down the hill and up the hill by about 10 fat, well-dressed, white young people. They're 20 years of age. Nice jeans on, nice shirts, smoking, drinking Coca-Cola. They came up to us and said, can you give us a dollar? Need some money. Give us a dollar. No shame. They ought to be so ashamed. If my kids did that, I think even at their age, I would put them over my knee and spank them. No shame. Can I tell you something that happened in this church? Because this person doesn't belong to this church. Hasn't been back since my reception. A beautifully dressed lady came to me with pearls around her neck, beautiful shoes, beautiful dress, came down the front and said, Pastor, can you give me some money? I said, why? Well, she said, I just need some more. I said, why do you need some more? She said, I've been a little doing poorly lately. Came in a Cadillac, beautiful car. She said, I had an accident. I said, were you reimbursed? Yes. But she said, I just figured I'd lose nothing by asking. Yes, she did. She lost her dignity and she lost my respect. Colin Powell is right. People ought to be ashamed. If you have a child, then look after it. And if you're man enough to beget, then be man enough to bring up that child or else you're just a bum and a humbug and you ought to be ashamed of yourself. How do we get out of poverty? I'll tell you. The Bible says, he that will not work, neither should he eat. Genesis 3 verse 19 says, In the sweat of your brow shall you eat your bread. If you don't sweat, then you better start. Sweating is good. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. We are what we make ourselves to be. I'm going to tell you some great stories. Heard of Ben Carson? Come on, heard of Ben Carson? It's a black man, a black kid, brought up in Detroit, in a ghetto. What chance did he have, would you say? A black kid and no father. Father walked out on him. Black kid. Get a camera in close. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, gifted hands, brought up in a ghetto, 
But what a mother. She said to him, Ben, we will not accept charity. We will work and pay our way. You say she's crazy. No, she's got quality. He went to school. He was the dumbest boy in the class. You know what people said about him? Just a dumb black kid. Can't learn. You know what they discovered with this poor dumb black kid? He had bad eyes and he couldn't see the blackboard. Got him glasses. All of a sudden there was a new world. He could see the blackboard. His mother nagged him. God, thank you for nagging mothers. Not nagging wives. <laughs> and my wife doesn't nag me. I just want to make that very plain. She does not nag me. I was talking about my mother. She doesn't nag me. I'll say it again. She does not nag me. <laughs> Boy, that was near miss, that was. Saved by the bell. Saved by grace. She does not nag me. I know, I know. I know. She said to him, you're not going to watch any television until you learn your tables. Two plus two is four. Two plus four is eight. Eight eights is 64. Twelve twelve is 144. She made him sit there. She said, you are not dumb. You can do it. Learn it, Benny. Learn it, learn it, learn it. She wouldn't let him go out to play. She said, learn it. She was out holding down two jobs. She was not a welfare queen. So this boy studied on, struggled on. Then he went to Yale. You know, he got to Yale University, Harold. Graduated third, top of his class in high school. Went to Yale. When he got to Yale, he had a shock because he was the bright boy in the school in Detroit. But when he got to Yale, he discovered he was just one of a multitude of kids. He struggled. He felt like giving up. He got in despair because now he had to work and work and work. He graduated from Yale near the top of his class. And Yale is not just any school, folks. It's one of the greatest schools in the world. I want to read you what he says in his book, Gifted Hands. Mm -hmm. Thinking about it now, mother was incredible. Memorizing long poems like Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken. She often quoted to me a poem called You Have Yourself to Blame. Hear that? You've Got Yourself to Blame, a poem I've never been able to find in print but it's about people offering excuses for failing to do their best. The bottom line was that we have only ourselves to blame. We create our own destiny by the way we do things. We have to take advantage of opportunities and be responsible for our choices. Mother stayed on me until I fully grasped that I am the one ultimately responsible for my life. I had to take charge if I wanted to amount to anything. Soon my grades zoomed upwards again. During both the 11th and 12th grades, I ranked among the A students again. I'd gotten back on the right track. He graduated from Yale. He went to Australia and did a residency there. And this man is the famous surgeon, the neurosurgeon, who separated those Siamese twins that were joined at the backs of their heads. Nobody said it could be done. Ben Carson did it. He is a world-famous surgeon brought up in the slums of Detroit. If Ben Carson can do it, so can you. So can you. 
Don't come and say to me, oh, I'm just a disadvantaged person. Here's another article. Mm, fired up today, folks. So I got you here, Harold, in case I get into any trouble and they send me off to jail. I'll send you in my place. This one is called Black and Conservative. Now I'm talking, both these articles are about blacks. And I should say that is probably coincidental, but they're the ones I've, I found. When I began my radio talk show, some callers were less than pleased. This man is uh, William Armstrong Williams. When I began my radio talk show, some callers were less than pleased that a black conservative was holding forth on the air. They called me an Uncle Tom and said that I hated blacks, had grown up in a different world, and was hopelessly out of touch. This is a black man talking. The sad truth is that I've seen the ugly face of racism, and it comes in both faces, black and white. I grew up in the 60s in rural South Carolina. My father worked for white men and saw the cruelty of white landowners towards their black farmhands in the 1940s when racism was brazen, backed by the law. Self-employment was the only way he saw for a black man in the South to offer, offer freedom and dignity to his children while providing for his family. Jim Crow practices prevented my father from buying property, so he got a white man to help him. Guy Davis believed in my father. He not only fronted for him to buy a hundred acres, but also put up his own money to buy it with. Guy Davis was looked upon none too kindly by his white neighbors for that. Our black neighbors, meanwhile, refused to believe that my father owned the land. Although he repaid Davis within the year, it took years before they believed my father owned it. In the minds of blacks as well as whites, James Williams was a man who didn't know his place. I don't know mine either. Don't want you to know yours either. Many of our black neighbors had no other work, but they refused to help on his farm. Except for his brothers, even my father's relatives refused to help. That is why his sons, myself included, came to know hard labor so young in life. I was out working the fields when I was five. What he learned through such experiences, he took great pains to pass on to his children that human nature, both the good and the bad, knows no color barrier. Blacks and whites both are capable of great kindnesses or cruelties. Don't ever get consumed by race, we were told. It'll eat you up like lie inside. We children made a lot of lie sopers. We made a lot of lie sopers, children. He tells a story how he worked out in the fields, in the heat, and he felt like quitting, but his father would say to him, you are not going to quit, you're going to finish your work, and he did. People, some people hate him. You know why they hate him? Because he's shown it can be done. You see, it can be done. There are times when I've questioned my beliefs. When I first went to work at WOL Radio in Washington, D.C. in 1992, I was subjected to a daily torrent of abuse from callers, and it started to get to me. But then I realized I was just giving in to their defeatism, which was so often just beneath the surface of their anger at me. Some of these people don't know what it means to be independent. Many have grown up with resentment and insecurity as an integral part of their mental makeup. For many, race is as much a part of their lives as the air they breathe. 
I was taught to rely on my own efforts, to respect honest labor, and to treat people as individuals rather than as categorical elements of a group. If that makes me a conservative, it's no wonder liberal has become a dirty word in America. People may marginalize me in their minds, but in my own where it counts, I am a free man.